Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. If you're new here, I need to let you know that I'm not Pastor Aaron. I'm Pastor Ed. So we have a little thing here between the three of the pastors on the staff. When we refer to each other in an email, we sign it off either PA for Pastor Aaron or P, uh, PD for Pastor David or PE for Pastor Ed. So uh, just to kind of we immediately know who sent what if we don't discern it some other way. But it's good to have each of you. It was November when I preached last here. Pastor Aaron was getting over of having a case of COVID. And uh, of course, he did very, very well. Didn't have any problems with that at all. And uh, Pastor David and I had a couple of three Sundays that we took then. So that was my last time. Uh, they're able to get away this weekend and enjoy their families uh, together. Had an a special opportunity that came up. So they took advantage of that. And uh, so Pastor Aaron asked me if I would preach today. I used to be, well, now I'm a kind of a guitar player that preaches every once in a while. For 37 years, I was a preacher who played the guitar every once in a while. So the roles are kind of switched, uh, and it's good to get back in the pulpit every once in a while and kind of uh, say some things that God lays on your heart as you prepare a message uh, and right now we're in the middle of a series, and that is on the book of Acts. So we're going to continue today uh, with chapter 18 in the middle of the chapter, uh, starting with verse 18, and we'll read through the verse 28. Uh, let me just review just a little bit, and then I'll read the passage, and then we'll come back and look at each verse. And then I'll have a number of things to say after that concerning Paul's life and all the, the things that he endured. Um, so we are at the end of Paul's, or almost the end of Paul's second missionary journey. This was a journey that was begun all the way back in chapter 5, I mean chapter 15, verse 42, I believe it is, or 46. At the end of that chapter verse 36, and it's brought us all the way through three chapters to cover all the places he stopped and all the places he preached and some of the things that he did. Now it's time to get go back to the home church in Antioch, the sending church for this missionary team, Paul and Silas. Silas, he's going to leave there in uh, in. Uh, in Corinth, and that's where they begin today. We, we look at Corinth. What has happened just before this was the, there was, an, uh, Paul would always go to the synagogue and preach to the Jews, always the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Though he was God's chosen vessel to take the gospel to Gentile people, he always went to the Jews first. And often, more often than not, they rejected him and sometimes violent, violently. Because they saw him as teaching a heretic sect. 
and therefore he, uh, they, they uh, violently opposed him at times, and sometimes they followed him to the next town and stirred up a ruckus there and caused him a lot of trouble. Well, the, <clears throat> they rejected him in Corinth, and so he went next door to uh, a man by the name of Crispus, and uh, preached in his house for a while. And it gives us, at that time, Paul seemed to be in great fear for his life. And so he prayed a prayer. But something I'm going to read to you in the first verse of verse 18 here is that Paul took a vow. We don't know exactly when, but this would be a good time to put that the placement of Paul taking a vow before the Lord. And back in Deuteronomy, it talks about taking the Nazarite vow. And if you remember, Samson was a Nazarite from birth, and he was not supposed to cut his hair or drink wine or a few other things that uh, were forbidden to those who had the Nazarite vow. So Paul, probably in this prayer and out of fear, he prayed to God, and almost, we would say, in sackcloth and ashes, he approached God and asked for his help. But this time, it was not in sackcloth and ashes. It was taking a vow, like a Nazarite vow. And, uh, <clears throat> and then Paul granted his prayers. He answered his prayers, and he told Paul in a vision by night, he says, they're not going to harm you. They're not going to harm you. I'm going to make give you freedom to preach. Now, that didn't mean they didn't bother him every once in a while, but he didn't have to be afraid that they would kill him because God promised him that. And uh, I think that was a part of having taken the vow in that prayer, and then the Lord appeared to him and assured him that things would be well. So let's dig into this. Acts chapter 18, verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, actually, he stayed there uh, uh, quite a while, maybe another year. Then he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. So he probably left Silas there along with Timothy, who had joined him there. And it says, and with him, he took also Priscilla and Aquila. So this couple, this Jewish couple that came from, uh, <clears throat> from Rome, uh, they had been, the Christians had been kicked out of Rome by the emperor, and they had come to Corinth. So Paul had met them when he got there, and they stayed with him. And so he takes them with him to Ephesus. Their first stop, this is kind of like you get on a plane and anymore, you can't go direct. You got to go to another city. And then uh, sometimes two cities before you get to your destination. Well, the same thing is here. He took a ship, and the ship across the Aegean Sea from Corinth, which is uh, there in Greece, which is the first uh, Macedonia and Thessalonica and those places were Europe. And he comes back to Asia Minor, which is Ephesus, and all the seven churches of Revelation were in Asia Minor. And he went to Ephesus because God had early on in this uh, his, his second missionary journey a year or so before wouldn't let him go down into Asia, which would be Ephesus area. But now he does. 
So he goes to, they, the boat makes, the ship makes a stop at Ephesus. And then uh, he uh, goes up and uh, meets the group or meets uh, the synagogue there in Ephesus. Let me keep reading. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, left um, <clears throat> He left Aquila and Priscilla, but himself he went into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. When they had asked him to stay long for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return if God wills. I will return if God wills. And he set sail then from Ephesus. So now we have a long journey of about 500 miles by ship across the Mediterranean. And he lands at Caesarea. When he landed at Caesarea, that's Israel, he went up and greeted the church. Now think about that for a minute. I'll come back. What church was that? And then he went down to Antioch. There is significance to up and down in this case. And then that would complete Paul's second missionary journey when he got back to Antioch. So I'll stop there and go back and touch base on some of these verses, and then I'll read the second half of that uh, passage uh, after I've made some comments. All right, <clears throat> Aquila and Priscilla. It says at Centrea he had cut his hair, so he had he had been letting his hair grow long because of this vow. It says for he was under a vow up until the time he cut his hair. So at Sensrea, before he got on the boat, before he got on the ship, he cut his hair. Uh, maybe Aquila did it for him. And he then uh, finished his vow, although he wanted to get to Jerusalem. So maybe at the time of one of the great feasts, and he would make a sacrifice or an offering there, or at least visit uh, in Jerusalem before he went on to his home church in Antioch of northern Syria, western Syria. And it says he came to Ephesus. So the boat stopped at Ephesus and he, did, he got off. They probably either he took a different ship or the ship was in harbor for a few days. He went up then to the found the synagogue, and there he began to reason, it says, with the Jews. What was he reasoning with them about? He was reasoning with them about Jesus as being the fulfillment. He was the Christ, and that's what they got so upset with him many times. And it says, but they were open at first, and it says, and when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. Because he wanted to get to back home. But on taking leave of them, and at this point, he's taking leave also of Aquila and Priscilla. And he leaves them there at Ephesus so that probably they can scout things out. They can get things ready so that when he comes back, and it'll be almost a year, when he gets back, then things will be ready for them to continue a work in Ephesus. But he tells them when he leaves, he says, I will return. But then he makes another statement, and that is the Lord willing. And that ought to always be our attitude. 
is if we say we're going to do something, it's not always our ability to accomplish that or to fulfill that. And so I try, have all my life been in the habit of, of for the some of the bigger promises maybe that I make to someone uh, of what I'm going to do, uh, the Lord willing that we are able to do that, the Lord willing. In other words, I will if I can, but if the Lord wills it, we will try to do it. And remember, Paul, the first time he wanted to go down to Ephesus or go down to Asia, in, into Asia, Asia Minor now, into Asia, God wouldn't let him. He forbid him. And uh, now I guess Paul might have this in mind when he says, I will return. But then he adds, not as an afterthought. I believe he always thought along these lines is if the Lord is, if God wills. And then he set sail in from Ephesus on a ship that took him all the way to Caesarea, which was the uh, port on the coastline there of Israel. And it says he went up and greeted the church. What church was that? There was only one, the church, at first. I think it's the church at Jerusalem. It's where uh, Jesus ascended back to heaven, and it's where he said, go and wait until you be endued with power on the high. And that was the beginning of the church at that point. And so he goes up. There's a festival going on, and he wants to meet and the brethren that are there. He had not spent any time with them and uh, wanted to meet with them. And maybe he would find other people that perhaps came from Ephesus, Jews that came from Ephesus for the major uh, festival time, whether it was Passover or one of the others. Some say Passover. Uh, that he would make contacts, and then when he got when they got back to Ephesus, he would then later come to Ephesus, and that would be a contact that they could follow up on. And then it says, so you go up to Jerusalem, and the reason is that Caesarea is on the coast; it's at sea level, and Jerusalem is about twenty five hundred feet up. So therefore, when you say go up. You know, it was, we think of being from down south, there we go, down south, because just it looks like on the map it's down, and we go up north. So uh, this is like up because you're going up a hill. You're climbing all the way up, and then to come back down to Antioch, which is closer to the coast, further up north, then you're going to go downward. It's easier going down than it is up, of course. And uh, when Paul then gets back to Antioch, he now has completed a year and a half of this journey, this second missionary journey that's taken us three chapters, three full chapters to cover it. Now let's go to, to verse 23. After spending some time there, meaning in Antioch, he departed and went from one place to the next through the regions of Gal Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Maybe it's easier if I just discuss each one as I go through it. <clears throat> and he uh, spent some time there, so maybe up to as much as a year 
or at least a, more than a half a year. Because often with traveling and sailing, you have to pick your times because you could get in trouble. Paul got in trouble on when he was uh, being taken, taken to Rome to be uh, uh, put in prison there and appear before Caesar. You remember what happened because they sailed too late in the fall. They, had, they got into a storm and uh, lost the ship. So you, he spent some time, and he needed some time to rest as well. And then it says he departed from there, and he went back the, lound, the land route this time like they had gone on the second missionary journey. This is the beginning of his third missionary journey. And he goes back the land route, and uh, he goes through Galatia, Phrygia, and it says he's strengthening, strengthening as he was going all the disciples. Now, how many times the church that churches that Paul founded, he and uh, uh, <clears throat> he and one of the other men went with him on his Barnabas. He and Barnabas went on the first missionary journey through that upper region. And then he and Silas went back on his second missionary journey back through those same towns because Paul wanted to strengthen the churches. He wanted to keep up with them. He wrote them letters, but when he could make a visit to them, that was even better. So he went back to those towns and visited the churches that were there and helping them in any way he can, teaching them, helping them to understand, trying to fulfill or fulfilling Christ's command to go and make disciples. So he was making disciples, helping them to grow in the Lord when he went back. And this was his third time then back to these churches. The first time to found them, the second time to help strengthen them, and now this third time was to uh, strengthen them again also. Now, it, here we have a little flashback that is included at verse 24. Some passages even say, in the meantime. But now he's flashing back to what's, what happened or what has been happening in Ephesus since he left. So we have this interlude or flashback, uh, and it lets us and it brings us up to date on as Paul was in Antioch and then making his journey back to Ephesus, what was taking place there? Well, this is what was taking place. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, which was down in Egypt, it was the second most important city in the Roman Empire. Alexandria had 600,000 people. It had one of the finest libraries in all the world. And Apollos grew up there, and he was educated there, and he was a very educated man, and it says he was an eloquent man in his speech. Eloquent, meaning that he was fluent in speaking. He was articulate he could choose words. He, uh, some would say he had a silver spoon in his mouth when it came to speaking. But it also says he was not only a good speech speaker and an orator, but he was also very competent in the scriptures. So he knew what he was 
talking about. And he, he was scholarly. He knew how to, uh, how to say it and how to uh, convince people of what uh, he was saying. And it says he had been instructed in the way of the Lord when he was sometime uh, in the previous 10 or 12 years, 15 maybe, and being fervent in spirit. So he was a passionate about what he did. Fervent. We would say enthusiastic. So here was Apollos. He was uh, quite an orator and enthusiastic and he was competent and uh, he taught the the, the scripture accurately, it says, the things concerning Jesus, though, and now we have a little uh, slow down here, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, what could that mean? He taught the scriptures accurately, but he knew only the baptism of John. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. Do you remember on... Uh, the, when Jesus, the day of resurrection for Jesus, the first Easter we would call it, is that there were two disciples, not of the twelve, two of the disciples who had followed Jesus, and they were walking to Emmaus, a little town about six or so miles away from Jerusalem. And as they were going along, they were discussing about Jesus. You know, they were discussing his death. Uh, at this point, they didn't know about his resurrection. Uh, and it says in all the things, uh, the hopes that they had. And Jesus came along and caught up with them and started walking along with them. And it says they were kept from recognizing him. So they, didn't, they did not recognize him. It almost like it, their eyes were veiled so that they would not recognize him. And course, several who saw Jesus after the resurrection at first did not recognize him, but they did not recognize him. And so he asked them a question. He says, what are you discussing? What are you talking about? And uh, he, they said to him, well, are you the only person around Jerusalem here that doesn't know what has been going on the last week or so? It was all about Jesus. You know how he we thought, says, we had hoped that he was the Messiah. We had hoped that he was what he claimed to be. But, you know, they killed him. They killed him. And uh, it says that when they reached to the place where they were going to, uh, where they were going to stay, Jesus says, was if he went as if he was going to go on and then they invited him to come in come in come in and sit down and let's have something to eat and we we'll talk together and uh, Jesus then went with them and while they sat down and talked about things he explained to them the scriptures from the beginning Genesis all the way up through how the how Jesus fulfilled the scriptures that he really was the Messiah and it says, and he broke bread with them. And when he broke bread, suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And when they recognized him, he disappeared. Now, this kind of reminds me of this. Here were two men going along, did not know about the resurrection. They, but they knew all about Jesus up until the resurrection, the cross and his death and all of that. Uh, whether... Uh, 
Apollos knew about his death on the cross. I'm not sure, but he could have. But he just didn't know about the resurrection. I'm guessing he probably did not know about the cross. He just knew about Jesus and and uh, he went about healing people and preaching and uh, all the things that Jesus did. So all he knew was the baptism of John. So he had been baptized with the baptism of John, which is a baptism of repentance and of a change of heart and direction to follow God and prepare the way of the Lord in your own life. That was the baptism of John. So it says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they realized that something was missing. They heard him and they took him aside, probably home for lunch, and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So now he gets the rest of the story. He knows about Jesus' death. It's, it's explained to him. And he knows about his resurrection. And now he can go and preach the whole story. He will be just as eloquent. He will be just as enthusiastic. He will be, I'm sure, more passionate. Because now you realize Christ has risen from the dead. And he died for our sins. And he knows the whole thing. And it says, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, that now Achaia is Greece, and it's a province, and it's the province of which Corinth was the major city. So he wants probably to go back over to Corinth. And I'm guessing, this is not, I can't show you in a scripture, but I'm guessing that Priscilla and Aquila had talked about Corinth. And they knew all about the difficulties they they told him about the difficulties that they had with the Jews there. And I'm sure that that was, you know, not only the leading of the Lord to get Apollos to go over there to Corinth, but I think there was a sense probably of a challenge for Apollos to go back and go to that synagogue and see if he could win in them to Christ himself. And, of course, I think he did when he got over there. It says when he... And he, he wished to cross, so the brothers there at Ephesus encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So they had not met him, so they wrote him, Aquila and Priscilla had come from Corinth, so they, had, uh, they wrote him a letter of uh, welcome or recognition uh, to give to those uh, leaders there and telling them to... This is Apollos. You welcome him there. We vouch for him. And so he, it says, for he powerfully, and it says, he greatly helped those through grace who had believed. So that would have been the church. He helped those who believed. But also notice what it says. For he was, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So he spent some time with them. Now, how they treated him, we're not sure. Uh, he, uh, he stayed at the church there for some time. We know that. Now, here's what I want to focus on for the rest of my message. And I asked this question. Why did Paul keep on going to dangerous and very difficult journeys? 
Why did he keep going on those? Couldn't Paul have just stayed in Antioch or couldn't he gone down to Jerusalem and taught there? Why did Paul keep going on these journeys? There are going to be four in all. Well, I think the, the immediate answer is it was God's idea. It wasn't just Paul's. It was God's idea for him to go on these journeys. It was God's idea because John 3-16, quote it with me, John 3-16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. That says it in a nutshell, the gospel message. God loved the world so much. God loved. He set aside a people from the beginning, and they were the Jews through Abraham. He set them aside as belonging to him. And he kind of let the others go for a while until he could send Jesus, and, and Jesus would die on the cross. But his intention was always to open the door to the Gentiles and bring all these other nations in. I've talked about this several times before. And so now that Jesus had risen from the dead, then Jesus took them out on the mountain when he ascended back to heaven. And we have Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, he came to them and said, all authority is given on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So he, he, he gave them what we, we would say the great commission, the great commission to go in all the world and make disciples. Now, God needs some people to do that. He needs, first of all, those unreached groups to have missionaries go. In a sense, we have apostles, but they're missionaries. They're taking the gospel to those who haven't really heard. They are worshiping uh, uh, other gods. They're, They're idolaters, and they don't know the truth. And he needs those who will tell them that. And for those that aren't called to go to other parts of the world, Um, he's told us that we need to be witnesses. He said, go and wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, wherever you go. You will be my witnesses. So God has worked in our life. He's done things for us. And therefore, we are to be his witnesses wherever we are. Now, I've got a couple of points that I want to share with you here. The first is that God chose Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. God chose Paul to take the gospel. And Paul, after he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, you remember how he saw a great light and then he heard the voice and Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him. And he told him that uh, I'm choosing you to take my word to the Gentiles. And at that point, Paul had a great 
we call it a Damascus Road experience. We still use that terminology today when somebody is so has such a, a, a powerful encounter with Jesus at their salvation. We say they had a Damascus Road kind of experience. Now, not everybody has that. Maybe not most, but some do. But Paul, he was chosen. This is what he said. I, I thank God who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, that's no excuse, but that states, you know, he, Paul was, he was very fervent in what he was doing. He was just misguided. He did not know the truth, and he should have known the truth, but he didn't, or he didn't act on it. He rejected it, just like so many Jews did. And he says this, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So the grace of God was given to him and overflowed him. I'm sure for the rest of his life, Paul felt like that the grace of God just just overflowed his life. And he couldn't stop being grateful. He couldn't stop thanking God for what he had done for him. I heard it said with some other preacher, you know, he had uh, an experience uh, of being before he became a Christian that he was doing all kinds of wrong things. And finally, the Lord uh, saved him gloriously. And it made such an impact on him. Even his wife said, somebody asked his wife, why is Pastor so-and-so so, why is he so full of Christ? And he, she said, he's never gotten over grace. He's never gotten over the forgiveness that he found in Christ. He's never gotten over it. Well, we shouldn't, any of us, ever get over it. <clears throat> And he says, so this is a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Some version says of whom I am chief. I'm the worst one. I was the worst sinner. See, that's what you feel like when grace overflows you. You feel like, you know, what God took me from was such a, a, a great thing and a wonderful thing. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. So he said, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. God gave me grace to be a minister, to be an apostle. And he was given to me by the working of his power in my life. I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. So he took that with him wherever he went for the rest of his life, that sense of God's forgiveness and grace in his life. So it says he wrote in one of the, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians, he says, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself in one body, his church. And that was a mystery that God was fulfilling and making plain, even to the angels, it says, that God was reconciling all the nations to himself. And it was in Christ, through a death and resurrection of his own son, that he was going to reconcile the people. And we are are to be ministers of reconciliation, bringing people to God through Christ as a part of his church. The second thing is that Paul suffered greatly for the sake of Christ. You think, well, you know, God gives us an easy path if we come and do his will. Well, that's not always the case. We're in a battle. We war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and these things in the heavenly places. And it manifests itself in the physical around us and in other people who are being used in the, in the way to do what Satan wants. And so we find opposition and we're in the midst of great division in our country right now. Great division. Well, Paul, his was even... Uh, more pronounced than most of us ever have to face. He says five times, this is in 2 Corinthians 11, five times I received by the hands of the Jews 40 lashes save one. So 39 lashes, five different times he was whipped. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's more of a Roman kind of justice. And it says uh, once I was stoned, we know where that was. Three times I was shipwrecked. We know only one of those. And at the time he's writing this, he probably didn't even have gone through that last one. And he said he spent a, a day and night in adrift at sea after a shipwreck. Frequent on journeys and dangers from rivers, uh, robbers, uh, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brethren. In toil and hardship, Paul suffered. He talked about having a thorn in the, in the flesh. Something kept pricking at him all the time. He prayed about God removing it. He prayed three times very seriously about God removing it. But God did not remove it. And he told him, Paul, I'm going to leave it. But my, to show you my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I will be strong on your behalf. In 2 Corinthians verse 1, he says, uh, <clears throat> We have experienced great affliction in Asia, which means Ephesus most likely or thereabouts. He says, uh, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now that's deep depression. Yes, Paul went through some difficult times. We felt that we had received the sentence of death. But we may, but what was to make us rely, but, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises even the dead. And of course, you know, Philippians 4.13. Paul wrote it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Just a couple more quickly. Paul 
had a passionate love for Christ and for other people, the Jews and the Gentiles. In Romans 9, 2 and 3, it says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. You know what he's saying there? If I was able to do it, he's saying, I would even give my own self in the place of my Jewish brethren, my kin, if they would be saved. Moses did that once, prayed a prayer like that. And God heard it and uh, did not destroy most of Israel except Moses. In 2 Corinthians 2, 4, it says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, he's writing this to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians were a church that had a lot of problems. A lot of problems. And he had to write them a pretty stern letter whether it was 1 Corinthians or a second letter, different from the second Corinthians that we have in the Bible, we're not sure. There might have been a third letter in there in between where he had to be really stern with them. And he later writes back in 2 Corinthians in a sense to say, it broke my heart to have to write that because I love you so much. I care about you. But you need to know how to walk with the Lord. You need to know what you, what's good for you and what's not good for you. So Paul says, I caused you pain and it caused me pain too, great pain. But it was because of how much, how deeply I care about you and love you. So he cared about people and he went on these missionary journeys because he cared about taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And as I've said before, we are the recipients of Paul going west. That he wound up not only in Asia Minor, but he wound up in Europe. And that gospel then was fled, uh, shed, taken from one person to another until it made it all the way to England. And I find out that uh, my heritage comes mostly from England. Is my heritage. So it made it to England. And I'm sure Paul down now in heaven. Sees the. Exponential growth. Of believers. That started back with people. That he had run to Christ. Exponential. How many people are going to be in heaven. Because of Paul's ministry. And the other disciples. And the last. Uh, point I want to make is Paul remained faithful to the end and finished the work that Christ had called him to do. Now, at this point in the Acts, Paul's story is only half, half over. But I'm going to jump ahead because I've been talking about why he went on these journeys and what was in his heart and what his life was like. So I'm going to tell you about the end before we get to the end, Okay. In 2 Timothy, which is the last letter that Paul wrote before his death at Rome, 
He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And because I've been faithful and done that through the help that God gave me, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So he says, I know what God's got in store for me, but he's got it in store for you too. That's what he's saying. To all who love the Lord and who long for his will to be done on this earth and for his appearing and coming back again to receive us to himself. So we are not called to be Pauls because there's only one Paul. There's only... 11 disciples other than Judas. And they are called to be missionaries, apostles. And most of us are not called to be missionaries, though we sponsor many here. And Jennifer, we get to see her every Sunday as she is getting ready to go to Portugal. And we pray for her and for the funds to come in on behalf because she's called to go and do a service in Portugal in support of missionaries there. Most of us aren't called to do that. But we are called to be witnesses. We're called to share the gospel of Christ wherever we are and wherever we go. I hope you've learned a little bit more about Paul today. And we're excited to look at uh, Paul's ministry when he comes back to Ephesus next week. Pastor Aaron will be back. But as you go today, it says, The eye hath not seen, the ear hath not heard all the things that God has in store for those who love him. We love him. We uh, share the gospel, the good news. We just talk. We gossip the gospel. That's what we do. And give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. And God will honor that. He will bless that. And there will be people we will see in heaven from that. If we give just as so much as a cup of cold water in his name, then there is reward for that. Let me close with uh, one final story. <clears throat> Last week, Gail and I, we stopped into a fast food place for lunch after church. And we went inside because we were allowed to do that, a certain number of people. So we went in, got our food and sat down over by the window, you know, tables are far apart. And I noticed in the back there was uh, a gentleman somewhere probably in his 50s and a woman maybe in her 70s and they were having lunch together and she was talking and I kind of discerned or I estimated, uh, guessed, I guess you would say, that this was his mother that he and his mother were out for lunch. And maybe he had picked her up and took her there. And uh, she was doing all the talking. He was saying something every once in a while. But in the meantime, uh, someone came in and sat down behind me over to my right. I could not see the person. Gail did. She said, there's a person behind you that's not eating. He doesn't look like he has anything to eat. And so, as I do sometimes, when I'm aware of a need, I knew I didn't have much money. 
but I pulled out my wallet to see what I had. And I, I think I had about 15 bucks. So I put it back in my pocket and I was thinking, okay, when we leave, I'll stop and ask him what he, if he'd had lunch and if he wants something to eat. Well, <clears throat> this gentleman and his mother came walking past us. And uh, I heard him right after he got past me, he says, to, apparently to the gentleman, I couldn't see it, Gail could. He says, do you have anything to eat? And uh, he must have said, no, I didn't hear his response. He says, you want something to eat? I'll get you something. What would you like to have? And he went through this thing of trying to find out exactly what he would like to eat. He went up and got it for him and brought it back to him. And then I heard him say, what do you want for dessert? What do you want for dessert? Now, I'll say this. If I bought his lunch, I wouldn't have given him dessert because I probably didn't have enough money. Or, But anyway, and then I heard this man say during this whole thing, he said, uh, apparently some people were looking and trying to figure out what's going on. And he wound up saying, uh, we're, we're, we're just Christians here. That's what he says. We're, just, we're Christians. We're just Christians. When you see somebody in need, you want to help. Basically something like that. And then they went on out to their car. And the gentleman, he had a pretty good uh, lunch set before him. Even dessert, I think. And something to drink. Now, that's how. That, that is a testimony right there. I'm glad that there was someone else that was doing things like that. That it didn't depend on me only. I would have done it. But he beat me to it. So God has ways of, he gave a testimony that people who knew about what was happening in the restaurant knew that he did something because he was a Christian and he was trying to take care of this man. See, there's things we can do, even a cup of cold water that we can do. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are grateful for our time here together today. And we do pray that you would help us to realize that our life may be difficult. It was for Paul. Just being a Christian doesn't mean that everything, all the, all the difficult things go away. But your strength is sufficient for us, whatever we have to face. That you'll never let us down. You will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. That in our weakness, you are made strong. Or we can be eloquent, or we may be slow to speak like Moses. Whatever the case may be, we can give a witness. And Lord, help us to be serious about that. Come and heal the division in our land. Keep us on the right track and doing the right thing, we pray. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and their Savior, who've never experienced Christ's forgiveness like the Apostle Paul did, Lord, may they just open their hearts to you and ask for your forgiveness, repent of their sins, receive Christ as their Savior and their Lord, and determine that they will follow him all the rest of their life. And you will do it immediately and bring life and change, transformation, and a peace with God that's not available anywhere else. Lord, we pray this and just give you thanks. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.